Welcome to another edition of the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast. It is great as always to have you with us alongside Chris Dorch of Blue Ribbon. I'm Kevin Ingram. And coming up on today's show, we'll get you caught up on what's going on around college basketball. Maybe a look in on the Olympics as well. And Yale coach James Jones will be our guest. We had a great conversation with James. So looking forward to giving you a chance to hear that coming up here in just a little bit. Chris, what's going on? Man, I'll tell you, I'm, I'm right in the middle of, of this book, this mammoth beast that I slay every year, Blue Ribbon College Basketball Yearbook. One, one year for kicks, I, I don't know how I even remember how I had the patience to do it, but I checked the word count of the book, 650,000. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Words. So uh, 350 stories, I read every one, and, and like I – didn't have anything else to do three years ago, as you know. I've been very gracious to come talk to my class. I started teaching again, and next week class starts, and uh, I'm I'm really hyped about that. We're in a brand new building. Oh yeah, completely refurbished. I can actually use my Mac computer instead of the Windows units that they got on the lectern. Uh, so I'm fired up about that, uh, but. Fired up to talk about hoops with you, dude. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, that, that's great. I'm glad you're uh, getting started with class again. And uh, over there in the new uh, Dorch wing of uh, UTC, and uh, we'll be teaching those students the, the right way to write. See, he is the best there is. It's awesome to see, I should tell folks this, to see how Chris interacts with his students and how much they like and respect him. And, and just to see how it all goes together to me is always a lot of fun. And I'll, I, I enjoy coming to speak to your class. Uh, if, you, if you have an opening, maybe uh, squeeze me in there somewhere and we'll, we'll do it. Oh, again. dude, you, you've always got a place. And that's, that's nice of you to say. I, I, I do it for the kids. Uh, it's funny. I was talking to uh, Cliff Ellis, uh, who's now the second oldest uh, basketball coach uh, behind Jim Beheim. Beheim's 76. He's got him by 11 months. But uh, Cliff and I were talking, and he said, I'm not going anywhere. I've got a three-year deal. And he just said he just loved being around kids. Yeah. And I told him about me teaching, and I felt the same way that, that they energized me. And, and I wanted to give back. And he said, man, good for you. So, uh, yeah, Cliff's, Cliff's been around almost a half a century. That's incredible. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a long career and a really interesting cat, a guy who's uh, not only into basketball but into playing music. And, uh, yeah, he's, he's been around a long time and quite a few successful stops over the uh, course of his career, that's for sure. Chris, uh, since we talked to folks last, it became official that Texas and Oklahoma are in the SEC uh, that was announced. They approved it. Everything is done. They say they intend to stay in the Big 12 until 2025. But to me, that's hard yeah. to imagine happening. It adds some more star power yeah. with with terrific basketball programs at both places and uh, ones that, especially in Texas' case, seem to be on the rise. But I got to imagine they're going to be in the Southeastern Conference before 2025. I don't know how you feel. Uh, yeah, this is where they lawyer up and, and those guys, the legal beagles, have at it. And try to work down that eighty million dollar uh, exit fee that they both got to pay, and I'm certain that'll happen. I mean, really, this was was a surprise, but it wasn't a shock, if that makes sense. I mean, Texas had long known what its media rights were worth. They're, they're the only school in the country that has its own TV network, yeah, backed by ESPN, and so. Yeah, this was bound to happen. What's crazy is is what 
you know, it, it's ostensibly a football move, but I was just, I know we're going to talk about this later, so I won't give away too much of it, but in, in his latest bracketology, our buddy Joey Brackett says that if Texas were in the SEC at this very moment, they would be favored to win the thing. Uh, so I know we'll talk about that later. I think it's tremendous for the SEC. I, I, I hate to see the downdraft from other leagues, though. Um, I hope that uh, the Big 12 doesn't go anywhere. But, you know, what are they going to do? There's yeah. no way you replace a Texas. There's no way you replace an Oklahoma. I've, I've heard that they might have some sort of understanding arrangement with the Pac-12 in terms of scheduling. So maybe they, they pick up uh, an SMU and a Houston and keep on trucking and team up with the, with the Pac-12. But, wow, uh, you talk about a super conference, uh, the SEC. I mean, you know this better than me because of your work with the SEC Network and you cover a lot of non-revenue sports. The SEC kills it in everything. I mean, from women's gymnastics, they are awesome, and baseball, and and of course football, and so basketball eventually had to come along. And I think this is the year people are going to really realize that. Yeah, the uh, to me the greatest conference got even greater with those two additions. And, and you're right, the the SEC and, and whatever the sport, whether it's you know, soccer or anything else, I mean it's. It's awesome. It, it really is. So uh, it's become official. Texas and Oklahoma part of the uh, Southeastern Conference. And we'll see when it actually does go down. But uh, that's all gotten done here in just the last few weeks and happened really fast after that story broke at uh, SEC Media Days. Chris mentioned the uh, latest Joe Lenardi bracket on ESPN.com. Came out on Tuesday morning. Gonzaga is the number one overall seed. I'll give you the top couple seeds in each of the regions as Mr. Lenardi, a friend of the show, Joey Brackets, as Chris calls him, uh, has him aligned. In the West, Gonzaga number one, Illinois two, Arkansas four. In the East, Texas number one, Michigan number two, Memphis four, Auburn six, LSU eight. And uh, I threw this one in because of our guest, Yale at 16. Midwest, UCLA number one, Baylor two, Kentucky three, Tennessee five. In the South, Kansas one, Purdue two, Duke three, Alabama four, Florida nine, and uh, closer to home, Belmont at number 12 uh, in terms of the seeds in the uh, South region. Last four buys, St. Mary's, Virginia, Colorado, and Colorado State. Last four in, Rutgers, BYU, Seton Hall, and Mississippi State. First four out, Syracuse, St. John's, Wichita State, and Iowa. All this highly subject to change, Chris, but it's always fun to, you know, Joe puts those out on a pretty regular basis. He joins us on our show a couple times a year, and uh, I always like to give Joe a a shout-out for his work. It's a fun thing to talk about, and uh, we'll see how those things take shape, uh, obviously, as we get deeper into the season. Yeah, he he was always obsessed, but now he's just totally, like, I got no other thing going immersed in it he <laughs> retired from his gig at at st joe's where he was some kind of vp big wig i don't know and i don't know if he still does uh, st joe's radio color analysis but man he works this stuff and uh he sort of in some ways validates what i thought about some leagues and in other ways i don't know if it's right but i do know this i i counted he's got the SEC and the Big Ten with eight schools each. And I was talking to an L, uh, to a, an SEC coach this morning, and uh, 
we we talked about who we thought the teams would would be, and this coach thought that the top nine was going to be brutal, and then the bottom five, which which you know, I'll let people speculate as to who that is, but I think it's pretty easy to figure out. But that that top nine could be brutal, and, and he's got Kentucky, Alabama, Arkansas, Tennessee, Auburn, LSU, Florida, and Mississippi State. Yeah in the dance. And I wholeheartedly agree with Mississippi state. I, I talked to Ben Holland about a month ago and he's such a great guy and always enlightening to talk to him from a basketball standpoint. And uh, he and his staff really did a great job of retooling. And so, yeah, I think eight could be realistic for the sec and then big 10. Duh. Uh, the only one that I wonder about is, is Rutgers. Uh, but he's got Illinois, Michigan, Purdue, Ohio State, Maryland, Michigan State, Indiana, and Rutgers. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how it all shakes out. If if the SEC did get eight, that would be a record. Yeah. So uh, I'm looking uh, forward. You and I both uh, cover the SEC extensively. And now you more than me with your new gig as a Vandy color man. Congrats again. Thank you. Uh, but uh, looking forward to seeing how that league plays out. Yeah, it's it's going to be interesting, and you know both those leagues you're talking about, the SEC and Big Ten. I mean, just uh, chock full of terrific teams. That, the Big Ten to me was amazing last season. It was just like they they devoured one another, and you could have a record that really didn't look very good as far as your conference record and be one of the top 15 teams in the country. I mean, we saw that throughout the year last year. So yeah, the, both those conferences should be great again uh, this coming season. Another bit of news, uh, Memphis adding 6'10", Jalen Duran to its 21-22 class. Reclassified, that was announced, his commitment back on Friday. And uh, I guess one question I had, and one thing I think that was uh, a factor in this, how did the hire of Larry Brown to Penny's staff maybe you know help uh, attract Jalen to, to be part of that program? That's a great question, and no doubt that it did. Uh, the kid who, by the way, is 6'10", he had been ranked number two in the class of 22, and he decided to reclassify. And part of his decision-making, he talked to Larry Brown, you know, at, at 80 years young. Uh, hmm. uh, like we talked about earlier with Cliff Ellis, he he just gets charged working with young people. And, and uh, uh, Duran spoke with Larry Brown, and that was definitely a factor. He says here, I, I look forward to picking his brain, working with him and the rest of the staff. And, course he was impressed by penny too uh you know penny's got that magnetism about him and you know he was a star in the nba and mr memphis so this was a great late pickup for memphis i still got to decide whether that puts them into blue ribbons top 25 or (laughs) not but uh definitely a, a great pickup and you know there's still one more one more kid floating around out there imani bates uh, he's the number one class, uh, number one player. He's reclassified to 21. He's looking at Michigan State, Oregon, Memphis, probably not Memphis now, and the G League. He'd originally committed to Michigan State, and honestly, I really like Tom Izzo. I'd love to see the kid in the Big Ten, but uh, Oregon does a great job. Uh, so, and And they are the masters at recruiting late because – they, they are on the quarter system, yeah, and they don't start school till late September. So Dana Altman and his staff can just deal, you know, either getting transfers or international kids or 
our kids that reclassify. So no surprise that Oregon's in the mix for this kid also. Our guest for this week is Yale coach James Jones, and he has had a really successful career as the uh, head coach of that program. Uh, This will be his 23rd year coming up. He's won 333 games in 22 seasons, five Ivy League regular season titles, uh, the 2019 Ivy League tournament, the upset Baylor back in 2016 in the big dance. He's also three-time Ivy League coach of the year. And, uh, Chris, really an, an interesting guy. We had a great conversation. We'll give folks a, a chance to hear that now. But uh, he was a lot of fun to speak with, uh, whether he's talking about the college game or international ball or uh, some former players. He, he was a lot of fun. I hadn't had the pleasure of, of interviewing him before. But our, our we, we have an excellent Ivy League writer in, in Blue Ribbon, Kathy Orton, who uh, works for the Washington Post and has actually written a book on the Ivy League. And she sort of set it up uh, for us. And she told me, super intelligent, super funny, super opinionated, and that we'd really enjoy talking to him. And she was dead on about all that. Here he is, Yale coach James Jones, joining us on the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast. Coach, how you doing? I'm terrific today. Coach, we I wanted to get you on for a couple of reasons. One, your experience with USA Basketball, which we'll talk about later. But two, you know, I had a Blue Ribbon College Basketball yearbook, and I know you know Kathy Orton, who covers the Ivy League so well. She filed her story about Yale, and – up near the top, she mentioned how you had last year when there was no season, which had to be maddening, you watched all of your previous year's game tapes like five times to where you knew what was coming. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> tell us about that and uh, that that season, that kind of lost season for you guys. Well, you know, it was just that. It was a lost season, so we had to find ways to make ourselves better. And, you know, one of the things that I did was, you know, go over and watch all my games from previous from the previous year. And, you know, I, I kind of had a rotation where I just kept doing it. I just, you know, there was not much more I could do in terms of my time, like, you know, watching high school kids on video and, and doing those things and watching some pro games and watching European games. So, you know, if you think about all the time that I spend uh, putting together my team and now I don't have a team to put together, there are a lot of hours in a day for me. You know, normally a basketball yeah, yeah. coach, you know, we work, you know, anywhere from eight to eight at night, you know, and then you're still on the phone calling recruits. So you're still doing more. So there's always something to do. And now you did, you had all those hours free and you had to put something in there to make it, make your day go by, make your days go by. Did it feel like at times you were sort of watching the parade go by, you know, watching other teams and other conferences play and then play in the NCAA tournament and all those things? Well, you know, it was hard in, in some ways. In some ways, it was not. Um, you know, I've told people if I had to lose a game because of COVID, um, you know, it, that would have been really difficult for me. Like, you know, it's one thing to lose a game because, you know, we were not prepared or we just didn't play well. It's another thing to lose a game because my two best players are out because they tested positive for COVID. So there's there's different reasons. So in some ways, I was okay with not playing. But, but then when we got to the NCAA tournament and – you know, you're watching everybody play and the joy of, on the kids' faces and and, um, and all the hoopla that surrounds, the um, you know, one of the greatest events that our country uh, puts together. It was tough to watch. Sure. Coach, uh, just jumping over a little bit to USA Basketball, you were an assistant for the under-19 team that won gold in the FIBA World Cup. 
that had to be great to get back out on the court. Can you tell us about your experience of working for your country and, and furthering USA basketball? Yeah, I've been fortunate enough to have had five stints with USA Basketball now. I was a court coach for two years down in San Antonio, two separate occasions for two teams. Then I went with Jay Wright to um, Brazil in the Pan American Games. And uh, then I, this past February, which was great because we wasn't coaching, I went to uh, the America Cup and uh, qualifiers and, you know, we were successful there. We had this stint here and in, in just uh, in Latvia and, and that was terrific too. So I really enjoyed all the experiences uh, working as an assistant coach was something new for me. You know, yeah. it's not something that, uh, you know, I've done a lot of lately, <laughs> you know, I've been a head coach for 23 years. So, you know, uh, answering this, uh, having to answer to someone else. And uh, it gave me a different appreciation for my assistant coaches and what they have to do. So that was a good experience. And then the young men that we had were tremendous and, you know, then putting on the red, white, and blue and representing the country against other countries around the world and, you know, trying to continue to be the dominant um, player in basketball around the world. You know, it's important to be able to continue to do that. So there's a lot of pressure on you. So a lot of good things all the way around. That leads to my next question about the, the men's Olympic team. People were freaking out because of some exhibition losses and we got beat by France. <laughs> and everybody always says, oh, the rest of the world is catching up. I don't think the world is catching up from a talent standpoint. <laughs> What, what do you think? You, you've got a, as, as good a perspective on it as anybody. Well, well, here's the deal. This is the difference. Um, we didn't have the best players in America play. You know, LeBron James wasn't on the court. Yeah. You know, so. <laughs> yeah, right. So, like, and again, like, you can't, you can't, you know, you know, you know, look down upon him, like, you know, just because of the wear and tear on his body at his age. But the point is, we didn't have our best players there in a sense that all the best players. So um, when you do that, it's a little easier to overcome teams that you play because now you're playing teams that are guys that have played together for forever. Like, you know, you look at uh, the Saul brothers, they've been playing on that team for like, you know, 30 years. So, you know, like it's almost like, you know, our women's team with like uh, Sue Sue Bird um, and Tarasi. They've been playing for 20 years. Yeah. They played, they played in five Olympic games. It's crazy. So they have a chemistry and an understanding. So um, the way we contend with that is that we are much more talented and we're able to overcome that um, because of our talent level. Um, but certainly the world has gotten better at basketball. Like, you know, like think about the Europeans that are playing in the NBA. There are a lot yeah. of them. Luka Donitz, the last time I looked, that guy's pretty good. Yeah, right? I wouldn't mind. I wouldn't mind having him on my side, right? I, I, I wouldn't have to. I wouldn't have to coach too hard. Just give Luca the ball and move out of the way. Exactly. He'll do. He'll do something good with it. In any event, the world has caught up somewhat, but again, we didn't put. We didn't have our best players there. It takes a little while to get the chemistry together to build it, and it's hard to do. Like what we did um, to go uh, in U uh, nineteen and become a team in, in like ten days. That's hard. Like yeah. the guys never have played with each other. That's hard. Like yeah. in my bunch of these NBA guys know each other, but they don't know each other's games like that. Right. But it took, takes a while to figure it out. And I knew they would figure it out. You know, yeah. they would figure it out. And they did. What does, uh, what does Grant Hill bring to USA basketball? Jerry Colangelo did a heck of a job. But what, what perspectives does Grant Hill bring now? Well, I, I think Brent, Grant brings his uniqueness as a person. As you said, Colangelo did an unbelievable job in, in getting the right coaches and the right people to be 
uh, heads of teams and to lead us into these to the battles that we, we face around the country. And I'm sure Grant is going to do the same thing, but he's going to do it in his way. Um, you know, he was a tremendous player, very intelligent, uh, Duke graduate. So I, I suspect nothing but good things coming from Grant Hill. And the only problem I have with him is that his father went to Yale and he didn't come here to play at Yale. And then, and then when we played, and we played, um, we played Duke in a tournament a few years ago. And I saw he and his dad were like arguing about who was going to win the game. And we almost had him. We were close. <laughs> we ended up losing by five points or seven points like that. We had it to three with about 40 seconds to go and just couldn't, uh, couldn't get it done. Does yeah. Calvin ever stop by campus? He does. He has in the past. I haven't seen him here in, in a few years. Um, my former athletic director was very friendly with him. Um, so and he's, he's moved on. We have a new athletic director now. So it's a little different from that standpoint. I don't know sure. if they have the same relationship, but you know, Calvin's doing his thing. I'm sure wherever he is. Yeah. yeah. Our guest is Yale coach, James Jones. Now, are you going to be able to find room for 20 players? And do you think a lot of schools are going to have a similar problem with, with uh, maybe more guys than they have locker room space for? Yeah, I, I, it's going to be a challenge. And, and like, you know, I told Kathy that um, I've already rehearsed my first speech to the team about who we are and, and what we need to do this year. And like, it's nobody's fault. Like I didn't sit and by design, Hmm. Let me see if I can get 20 guys. on. You know, that, <laughs> yeah. that, that was not, that was not done by design. It's happenstance. It's our circumstances. It's a, you know, unintended consequence of what, where our lives are. So we all have to understand that. Um, and we all have to, no one's going to play as much or shoot as much or pass as much or rebound as much or, or score as much as they want to. Um, so that being said, we all have to give a little, if we're going to be great. Um, so that's the message that our guys need to hear and, um, and, and understand. And, you know, we can't have that guy in the locker room that's, that's miserable and is looking for company, you know, like that, that yep. you know, because that, that, that's <laughs> it's a sign for disaster. So I think that a lot of teams are going to have these issues and we're just going to have to figure out how to make it work. One more from me. Uh, how fun has it been to see your brother Joe have the success he's had in coaching? Oh, there's nothing better than that. And the, the only the, the worst thing about the pandemic to me, obviously, people passing fortunate. I, no one close to me has passed, but I know that uh, many of us have lost um, a great many lives. Uh, but in terms of how it's changed our lives and what we were able to do, uh, we were not able to have the 2020 NCAA tournament uh, where Joe and I both qualified for it, yeah. um, which I, I watched his team uh, beat um, Colgate. And I'm yelling at the screen at his point guard. He turned the ball over late in the game. I was trying to find out what he was doing. Like, like, what are you doing? I'm yelling at the screen. Uh, my whole family, my son and my wife, we were all watching. And then um, what ended up happening was my dad did, didn't get a chance to peacock. So he was going to fly from city. Oh, city. My, my mom's no longer with us, but my dad was going to fly from city to city and peacock and stick his chest out that his two boys made the tournament. So that's a big loss. But certainly I can't be happy or proud of my brother for doing all the great things he's doing up at Boston University. Coach, one last thing from me. How does the NIL affect the Ivy League? Uh, obviously, the Ivy League does things differently. You, you, if a kid gets hurt, he can't redshirt and play. Uh, how, how does that rule affect you guys? Well, we're going to see how it affects us. It's, it's going to affect you. Like, no one, no one knows. Like, no one knows what the rules are yet, right? It's all like an open book, and we're trying to figure this out as we go along. Um, certainly, I'm behind, 
you know, students making money off their name and image and likeness. If, if you want to have a basketball camp and kids want to come sure. to your basketball camp, like, yeah. why should you be, why should you mm-hmm. be able to do that? that? That doesn't make much sense to me why you can't do that. Um, that it was always something that like, you know, they never sold my Jersey in a bookstore, but I, I, I wouldn't be, too, I wouldn't be too happy if they were selling my Jersey in a bookstore and I didn't get anything for it. Right. So you know, there's, 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 there's some common sense things that, that, that go on that makes sense. Um, you know, then we've seen some young men receive million dollar contracts and, you know, that's, you know, remarkable and great for them. So it's going to be interesting to see how it affects us in the Ivy league. And I just hope it's a positive thing and, that everybody we can all get on an even playing field and that's all you want is everybody to have an even playing field it's it's, it's our jobs are hard enough i don't need anything else making it harder that's right you, you could have made all kinds of dough at albany back in the day <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 that that and that and two nickels would get me a cup of coffee that's about right <laughs> absolutely two jerseys my mom and my dad and my dad would have been looking for his for free so i'm not saying i'm not saying how much we would have got <laughs> Coach Jones, thank you so much for the time. Really appreciate it. All right, guys, be good. Yeah. Okay, have a good, have a good day. Take care. That's Yale coach James Jones as uh, he looks forward to the season and the Ivy League getting things cranked back up here in the 21-22 season. I appreciate James spending a few minutes with us on our podcast. Chris, a couple other things to get to. Uh, I know you and I, we were talking about watching the Olympics earlier and uh, maybe a little lukewarm going in, but as it always seems to happen, end up watching a whole lot of it, including basketball. United States lost the, the first game against France, and, uh, you know, of course, everybody's up in arms, and we talked about that a couple weeks ago in our podcast, wondering what the future might hold. But I think both of us came away saying, hey, there's a lot of basketball to be played. This team can still win gold, and that's what they did. They delivered the uh, the gold medal. Defeating France in the final game, 87-82, the, the, the final was not a, a thing of beauty, but they got the job done. Kevin Durant capped off an amazing tournament, 29 points, 6 rebounds, and 3 assists. Jason Tatum at 19 points and 7 boards. But KD, when it comes to international play, he's got to be a, on the short list of some of the greatest players that have ever played for the United States in an international competition. No question. I think he's now the leading scorer mm-hmm. uh, in the Olympics uh, for for the U.S. You're you're right, and, and it's one reason I, I wanted to get Coach Jones on. He's, as he said in our interview, he's uh, given a lot of his time to USA basketball, and he was somebody I, I wanted to pick his brain about. Has has the rest of the world caught up to the U.S. in basketball? And everybody always says that. And you know what? There's no way they're ever going to do it from, from a talent standpoint. <laughs> right. Now, the, the thing that, that we could be taken out on, and, and obviously we did lose to France in the first round, is that these are grown men that have played together. It's their job. Uh, and you've got that chemistry built up. But I, but I think there's ways around that. And uh, – it's why I asked Coach Jones about Grant Hill. Sure. Grant is going to succeed Jerry Colangelo as head of USA Basketball. And Grant is, is, is a super intelligent guy, obviously. He went to Duke. And, and I know he's got some unique ideas. And I'm eager to see what he trots out because I think there's a way that you could gain, uh, you know, assurances from certain players that they're going to be there. Yeah. And I think this time it, it just, 
we're really lucky to have won because it was a perfect storm with COVID and everything and the NBA schedule being turned topsy-turvy and really LeBron James is probably nearing the end of his great career. And I, I don't blame him for, for not wanting to go at it again, but I think there, there's a, there's a new vanguard of young players, uh, uh, Devin Booker being one, uh, yeah, that, I think that we can gain assurances from and, and maybe obviously if the NBA season uh, ends when it's supposed to, and, and uh, a lot of, some of these players don't go that deep into the playoffs, we'll be able to prepare. And I think that's the big thing is just maybe the commitment that you make is, Hey, let's meet in Colorado Springs every summer and, and just, you know, build chemistry and, and and build a system and build a plan and sure. let's be consistent about it. If we do that, nobody will ever touch us. We, we have got, and, and, you know, obviously our population pales in comparison to a China, but, but it's not so much that it's that it's so ingrained in our culture and anybody can play it. it it's not a hoity toity game like golf where you got to buy uh, you know, $10,000 worth of stuff and, and, and plunk out another couple of grand just to play. If you've got a rim, it doesn't even have to have a net and a ball and some, some boys, uh, you know, to get together and play, you got it. And, and that's ingrained in our culture. And, you know, uh, the NBA is ingrained in our culture and ESPN has really helped that. And, so nobody's ever going to catch us from a talent standpoint. No way. I agree with that, and I thought uh, Coach Jones made some really interesting and, and well-thought-out comments uh, about just international basketball and your question about whether the, the uh, world had caught up. To me, if, if you take a group of NBA players, even if they're not necessarily all the greatest players, but if you put them together and let them play together for any amount of time, the United States, to me, really should should win every time. Uh, still, yeah. still, it's still the greatest percentage of the world's best players are in this country and are American. So uh, I, I'm with you. I, I think done the right way, we, we should be able to continue to uh, win in basketball for a long period of time. Now, you're talking about golf and what all you have to have. I mean, you found out in some of the places you play, you even have to have long pants to play. I mean, you can't just show up in shorts, you know. Yeah, the nerve of those guys at Augusta National <laughs> making me drive out to my car to get long britches. That's one of my uh, all-time favorite stories. I, for some reason, I always had it in my head that that you got like pro shopped out of that deal and had to go like buy some stuff there in the uh, the in the clubhouse before you could play. I was prepared to. I mean, I, t- I told my caddy he was either going to come out of his his white <laughs> uniform or I was going to go buy a two hundred dollar pair of Bobby Jones slacks. Oh man! But the pro. He, the pro was pretty cool. He was stern, but he said, you got pants in your car? And I said, yes, sir. Here, take this part. I was back in two minutes. I changed, I changed in the parking lot. You know, if anybody wanted to see me in my skivvy, I didn't care. And uh, I was back and proceeded to hook my tee shot on number 10 where we started off the face of the world. Oh, uh, man. Like over there yeah, by the by those the cabins down there. Yeah, probably. by the yeah Rory McIlroy Memorial cabins. Is that where it went? More than likely, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure it was never seen again. But uh, 
had a great day and and yeah you you do have to actually fork out for long pants at certain places there you go well, Chris, uh, always great to do our podcast. Uh, for folks who are thinking about maybe ordering the Blue Ribbon Yearbook, give the info real quick before we go. Absolutely, and thank you for uh, mentioning that. We're going to start pre-ordering uh, this week, probably uh, start looking on the website around Friday, uh, blueribbonyearbook.com. We always uh, take pre-orders. Sometimes that's confusing, and I, and I get it, but we take pre-orders because, believe it or not, Tons of people want to be the first in their neighborhood to get the book. So we take orders on a first come, first serve, and then fill them the same way. If you ordered the earliest, you get your book out the earliest. So we we announce uh, uh, pre-sales every year, and people go bonkers. So I'm very proud of that. It's always a, an awesome book. I look forward to it every year, and, and fun to be a small part of it. He's Chris Dorch. I'm Kevin Ingram. Chris, always great, and uh, we'll do it again next time. Thanks, buddy. Take this, care. You too. This has been the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast. We'll talk to you soon.